everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Kelly Cochran. So Kelly Cochran, oh boy was she a piece of work. She has been described as someone that just did whatever the hell she wanted to. She was cold, calculating, manipulative and she was also the dominant force in a very toxic relationship that she had with her husband Jason. And when I first started looking into this case, there was one significant thing about it that immediately caught my attention. Because it turns out that Kelly and her husband Jason, they had made what is called a blood pact on the evening of their wedding. Kelly and Jason made an agreement which said that if either one of them ever cheated, the cheater would be forced to murder the person they cheated with. And when I first read that, I was like, surely that's a joke. Like, surely they don't actually follow through with that. Surely no one would ever make a pact like that on their wedding night. Because you have to remember that this was on their wedding night. Why the bloody hell are you getting married to somebody if you're already making a pact about whether you're going to cheat or not? And if you're going to murder somebody? No. But unfortunately, this was very real and the consequences were deadly. And on top of that, it's also believed that Kelly may be responsible for even more terrible things that we don't even know about to this day. So as always, we have a lot to unpack, so let's dive in. So Kelly Cochran was born on the 5th of June, 1982, making her a Gemini. She grew up in Hobart, Indiana. I really hope that that is how you pronounce it. Where she lived with her parents, Tim and Melanie, and her two younger siblings. Now, growing up, Kelly was described as a difficult child, like a problem child. And Kelly's mother really struggled to cope with Kelly. Kelly was confrontational, uncompliant, and rebellious. Kelly was just somebody that could not be told what to do. Like if you told her what to do, she would do the complete opposite. And this was over absolutely everything. And the older Kelly got, the more and more problems she started to cause for her parents. Now, as Kelly entered her teenage years, she was regularly getting into trouble at school. She was getting into arguments, confrontations at school. She was being sent home from school. She would always be skipping classes as well. And another thing that Kelly would do quite often was run away. And I don't mean running away for like a few hours in protest or rebelling against the parents. Kelly would run away for days. She would disappear for days on end and this would happen regularly. Kelly's parents were constantly worried about her. They were constantly on edge. They never knew if Kelly was going to come home that day. The authorities would regularly get involved when Kelly would run away and she would just be found walking the streets and she would literally be dragged home. She even spent some time in a girl's home because she couldn't be controlled. And I don't know any more about that. I wish I did. And Kelly actually thought that all of this was great. She actually loved the attention. She kind of liked getting into trouble as well. Kelly saw herself as completely independent and she liked going off on her own, which, okay, fair enough, but you're like a teenager, you know, you got, you got to be at home with your parents, you got to go to school. And Kelly just wanted to do whatever she wanted. And she 
was an absolute nightmare for her parents. However, running away wasn't the only problem that Kelly caused for her parents because Kelly, from a very young age, still a teenager, but still very, very young, she faced a lot of problems with drugs. Kelly went through a huge experimentation phase in her teenage years with drugs and alcohol. And it started off like experimenting with a little bit of alcohol here and there, a little bit of weed here and there, but it didn't stop there because she soon moved on to hard drugs. And I'm talking hard drugs. Kelly was taking heroin. In Kelly's own words, she has said that she would take anything that she could get her hands on. So pretty much every drug under the sun, basically Kelly was taking. And that is not normal for someone of such a young age. Experimentation as a teenager is obviously very normal, but for a teenager to be taking heroin, like that's not normal. Kelly's parents tried their hardest to help Kelly to get her off the drugs, try and steer her in the right direction. But Kelly refused to cooperate. But not only that, Kelly, as I said, in the intro is a massive manipulator, but she's also a massive liar. Her parents just couldn't trust anything that she said. Kelly would always say, oh, I've stopped taking drugs, like I'm clean, I'm off them. But of course that wasn't true. Kelly would manipulate her parents. She would play on their emotions. She would constantly say, oh, I'll change, I'll change my ways, I'll be better, but she never did. It would actually be a common occurrence that the family would be sitting around the dining table eating their dinner. And Kelly, cause she was always on some sort of drug, she would be at the dining table, she would be swaying, she would be kind of out of it, where she would literally blackout or nod off, whatever you wanna say, and face plant into her dinner. I'm talking face full on falling into her dinner. And that happened quite regularly. And it got to a point where Kelly's mom, Melanie, just couldn't take it anymore. She also had two younger children to think about and she didn't want Kelly's behavior and drugs around her younger children. She was worried about what influence Kelly could have on them. So when Kelly turned 18, her mom just said, okay, you need to go. You need to pack up your things and go and you cannot come back until you're clean. And the timelines from this moment on, like for this middle kind of bit is a little bit vague. So I don't quite know the exact order, but I've tried to piece it together as best as I can. But amazingly, even though Kelly is going through problems, she obviously has a drug problem and she's obviously not living at home anymore. She actually does go to college and gets a degree. In fact, Kelly has been described as a very gifted individual. She was very academically intelligent. She was one of those people that she didn't have to try. Everything came naturally to her. She always was top of her class. She actually graduated high school with honors. She was just really, really good at school, even though she never, ever tried. So Kelly goes to college. She goes to Purdue. Purdue University, is that how you pronounce it? And she gets a degree in psychology and sociology with a minor in forensics. And this is very, very important. Her degrees are no coincidence, mm -mm -mm, no way. Now her choice in degree is significant for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's believed that she wanted a degree in psychology so she could learn to be a better manipulator. Now I'm not convinced by this, I don't know. I have studied psychology. And whilst you do learn about manipulation and the tactics and the traits and everything, can you actually become a better manipulator just by studying the topic? I'm not completely convinced, but some people are. I suppose
suppose if you are naturally gifted at manipulating, maybe it can help you. And Kelly does seem to be a gifted manipulator, so maybe it did help her. And the second significant thing about Kelly's choice of degree was that she studied forensics. Now, I do think that this is important. Again, I hate to say this, but I have also studied forensics and you do learn about crime scenes and evidence and blah, blah, blah. And I do think that this helped her mm -hmm, when she goes on to commit the crimes that she does. We'll obviously get into that when it happens, but I do think that her degree, her studies in forensics definitely helped. If you are somebody that wanted to commit a crime, maybe a murder, a degree in forensics is going to be pretty handy, isn't it? And let's just say that Kelly definitely tried to put her studies in forensics to good use. So Kelly is currently at college studying her degree, learning how to manipulate people better, learning how to cover up crime scenes, etc. Again, the timelines are pretty unclear on exactly when this happened, but it was when she was in college. Kelly's mom asked Kelly to move back in. It's reported that Kelly's grandmother had passed away and her mom was taking it pretty hard. Kelly's mom was really struggling with the grief of losing. I don't know if it was her mom, I assume it was. And it's very common, isn't it, when you go through grief, when you go through loss, to evaluate and look at your own life and want to spend more time with loved ones, maybe bury a few feuds that you have, etc. And this is what Kelly's mom thought. Kelly's mom wanted to reunite the family. She wanted her daughter, Kelly, back home. But Kelly had to think about this for a little while. She was probably thinking, okay, how am I going to get something for myself out of this situation? Because that is what Kelly did as well. Everything, every situation, Kelly would look to see how she could gain from that situation. Everything always came with a catch when it came to Kelly. So Kelly sat on the idea, hmm, should I move back in with my parents? And Kelly said to her mom, okay, I'll move back in on one condition, and that is that my boyfriend can also move in. Kelly's new boyfriend was a man called Jason Cochran. Jason was four years older than Kelly, and it just so happened that he was the neighbor to her childhood home. Like they had been neighbors since kids. When they were neighbors, when they were neighbors growing up, they never really spoke to one another. They never really spent any time together. And then years later, obviously now they are adults, they bumped into each other somewhere, I don't know the details, and they hit it off. So Kelly's mom, desperate for Kelly to move back in, allows Jason to also move in. But straight away, Kelly's mom was not a fan of Jason. She wasn't really a fan of their relationship. It wasn't just Jason because the couple were extremely volatile. They would argue all the time. They would constantly be on and off, creating so much atmosphere and tension in the house. And Kelly's mom has also said that Jason had a very violent side. But even though Jason could get violent at times, it was never directed at Kelly. It was never directed at people. Actually, that was the other way around. Kelly was the very 
dominant one, the very overbearing one. Jason was actually pretty quiet and submissive around Kelly. Jason would just go along with whatever Kelly wanted. He would literally wait on her hand and foot. Just like the drugs, Kelly's family tried their hardest to intervene in their relationship. Kelly's mom tried to talk some sense into Kelly because no one thought that they were a good match. They brought out the worst in each other. That should be the opposite. You should be in a relationship with someone that brings out the best in you. But just like the drug situation, Kelly didn't listen. She didn't want to listen. In Kelly's mind, she and Jason were made for each other. They were perfect together. And on the 14th of September, 2002, Kelly, against the wishes of pretty much everyone in her family, married Jason Cockrum. And they got married pretty quickly. And because of how toxic the relationship is, it was very reckless. It's very impulsive, which to be honest, is definitely something that you could say describes Kelly, reckless and impulsive. And you just know that this relationship is not going to end well. But back to the wedding day, because an extremely bizarre and concerning thing happened. So the two of them get married. It's a very normal wedding until obviously we get to the evening. They got married in a church, family and friends attended, and it all went pretty smoothly, pretty normal wedding. But then we get to the very significant, concerning, disturbing arrangement that the couple made on their wedding night. So on the evening of their wedding, the two of them, Kelly and Jason, are on their own. And this is just hours after making their vows at their wedding, Kelly and Jason made what they called a blood pact. And this pact, the couple agreed that if either one of them cheated, the one that cheated would have to murder the person that they cheated with. Which, what? If you are making an agreement like that with someone, you shouldn't have married them. Also, regardless of that, why are you talking about this on your wedding day? Shouldn't this be a very happy day where you're all lovey-dovey saying all these nice things? You shouldn't be arranging a potential murder in the future. And I don't know how serious they took it at the time. I mean, obviously I wouldn't be sat here if they didn't take it seriously. But if you heard about a couple making that kind of pact, making a blood pact with those conditions, you wouldn't take them seriously, would you? You just think, oh, okay, yeah, sure. You wouldn't assume that it's serious, would you? And I also don't know if it actually was a blood pact, like any blood was drawn in any kind of way. I don't know. I don't really want to know. How did that conversation even start? That, that's what I want to know. I mean, was this the first time that they ever talked about this so-called blood pact on their wedding night? Or had they talked about this and discussed this previously? Not that that really matters, but these are the kind of questions that I have. So after making this truly disturbing pact, the couple went on to have a pretty happy marriage for a while. And they moved out of Kelly's parents' house into their own home in Hobart, Indiana. They started a pool maintenance business together. They actually enjoyed working together and everything was going great. Everything seemed to be going very smoothly, especially for this couple as well, because yeah, they were always on and off, always arguing. But for right now, like everything is great. But as the months and as the years went by, this all started to change. The first source of tension in the relationship was Jason's mental health. It's said that Jason would offer often suffer with depression and extremely low moods. He was very open about his struggles, about his mental health with Kelly. And instead of Kelly 
being there for him, comforting him, trying to help him in any way that he needs, she would just dismiss him. She wouldn't want anything to do with him. She couldn't be bothered to deal with Jason's problems. But not only that, she would also be the one to antagonize Jason and almost push him over the edge, push him into these extremely low moods. So not only is she not helping him, she's also causing this. Jason would just annoy Kelly. He would get on her nerves and Kelly being the kind of person that she is, she knew all of the right buttons to push when it came to Jason. And she would push all of those buttons for her own entertainment just to see how far she could push him. She would actively tease him about his depression. And understandably so, Jason really struggled with this. I mean, this is not a good environment for anyone to be in. But if you are struggling, the last thing you need is for the person that you love to take the mick out of you, make things worse. So what was already an incredibly toxic environment has just gotten like a million times worse. But that wasn't the only source of tension because after years of working with their pool maintenance business, Jason suffered a pretty serious injury. His back completely gave out. I think it was something to do with um, his sciatic nerve, if that how you pronounce it, sciatica, sciatic nerve or something like that. And it's a really serious thing. He couldn't work anymore because obviously working in pool maintenance, it's pretty hard physical work, but his injury was that bad. He couldn't really walk very well. Like he couldn't really do much. And this resulted in him not really leaving the house much. But also after his injury, he wasn't able to perform sexually anymore. And this led to a whole new host of problems. The couple also fell into extreme debt because Kelly was the only one that was able to bring in money to the house. Jason as well, because he was barely leaving the house, the couple weren't really socializing anymore and Kelly really resented Jason for this. And Jason felt belittled. He felt worthless. He hated himself that he couldn't provide for his wife. He blamed himself, which is honestly ridiculous. And because of all of this tension, the couple would fight all the time. They would argue. They were kind of going back to how they used to be, like arguing all the time, breaking up here and there. And one day it got so bad that Jason actually pulled out a gun and pointed it at Kelly. Now, thankfully this gun wasn't loaded, so no harm was done. However, Kelly was convinced that the gun was supposed to be loaded. Jason had just somehow forgotten to load it, and Kelly fully believes that in that moment, Jason wanted to kill her. But despite all of this, they stayed together. They just couldn't leave each other. It was a very intense love-hate relationship. However, they both knew that they couldn't go on like this. Something needed to change. They realized that they needed to do something. They needed to fix their relationship. And this is when they decided to make the 500 mile move to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. So they arrive in the Upper Peninsula. That is a very hard word for me to say. And this is a drastic change for the couple because the Upper Peninsula is a very large like forest area. That's probably not a very good way to describe it, but it's just south of the Canadian border. It also gets very, very cold there. And people didn't really know why they moved. Like it just didn't seem like the couple, like why would they move there? It's so random. And there are a couple of reasons, apparently. Remember I said that the debts were piling up while well, Kelly had the idea to essentially run away from her debt. Run away, move to a different state, and fingers crossed, the debts will also disappear 
disappear. And also the laws on marijuana are a little bit more beneficial to Jason given his back pain. So those are the two reasons why they moved to Michigan. And the couple tried to make a fresh start. They actually tried to make a really good go of it, but it wasn't long until they both slipped into their old ways. Kelly was working multiple jobs just to make ends meet and Jason, he can't work. So he's just sitting at home. He's smoking weed all the time. He's overeating and just playing video games. Like that is literally his day every single day. But it's actually said that Kelly was pretty happy with this arrangement. She actually liked Jason being stuck at home all day, not doing anything. Jason being stuck at home, he was very isolated. He was incredibly lonely and he was still suffering with depression. But Kelly, she was out and about. She was living her life and she just left Jason at home. But even though Kelly liked this arrangement, she liked Jason being home and essentially out of the way. She still was manipulating him and belittling him. She would make him feel worthless about not being able to do anything. And she saw Jason as kind of her comfort blanket. She didn't really like being around him. I assume she probably didn't love him at this point, but he was always there. He was always there for her when she got home. And whenever she needed him, he would be there. And it wasn't long until Kelly started to have an affair behind Jason's back. So Kelly started having an affair with a man called Chris Regan. Now he was in his 50s and he has been described as a happy, hardworking man. He had previously been married for 28 years and from that marriage, he had two children. And then later on in life, after his marriage was over, he moved to the Upper Peninsula to reconnect with a friend, Terry O'Donnell. He soon began dating Terry. And then he was dating Terry for a while, but the couple did separate. And this is when he met Kelly. And the two of them hit it off straight away. They started seeing each other, but this would be a decision that would lead to dire consequences. So when Kelly and Chris started dating, they kept it very low key. They did kind of keep their relationship private. I mean, of course they did. Kelly was going behind Jason's back. So she obviously didn't want it getting back to Jason. But after a while, the two of them actually got pretty serious about each other. What had started off as like a little fling was becoming quite serious. Chris and Kelly were properly falling for each other. And it got to a point where the two of them were seeing each other on a daily basis. Kelly would often go to Chris's place after work. They would go on dates. They would have dinner. They would watch movies. They would spend the night together. But Kelly would always go back to Jason after. And it didn't take long for Jason to find out about this affair. I don't actually know how he found out and how long it took him, but I just know it wasn't too long. But Jason, when he found out, he kind of felt powerless. He kind of felt like there was nothing that he could do. Kelly had belittled him so much because of certain things, because he wasn't able to perform sexually. And he just felt like, well, Kelly needs to go elsewhere. She needs to do what she needs to do. And after Jason found out about the affair, he fell into a really deep depression. And Jason would openly talk to Kelly about his depression. I don't know if he talked to her about the reason behind his depression. Like, I don't know if Jason actually said, hey, Kelly, I'm depressed because you're cheating on me or 
something to that effect. But Kelly, as always, couldn't care less. She couldn't care less about Jason. She didn't want to hear about his depression. She didn't want to hear about his struggles. All she cared about was herself. And she just carried on her relationship with Chris, regardless of Jason. She didn't care. However, this relationship with Chris was about to come to an end because after they had dated for a significant period of time, I don't exactly know how long, Chris decided that he wanted a fresh start. I don't think Chris was as invested in the relationship as Kelly was. Chris had found a new job in North Carolina and he wanted to move there, have a fresh start. And Kelly, when she found out, she was shocked. She was heartbroken, even though I don't really think she has a heart. So I don't know if I can actually say that she was heartbroken, but she claims that she was hurt. Kelly did not take this well at all because if there is anything that you should know about Kelly is that everything has to happen on her terms. She should be the one to break up with someone. She's not the person to be broken up with if that makes sense. And unfortunately this is what leads to the tragic events of today's case. What does Kelly do? She runs back to Jason as she always does. She ran back to Jason and said, Jason, I wanna give our relationship another go. I feel like our relationship is special. Let's just move on from everything that's happened, start again. So this resulted into some long conversations about how they were going to fix their marriage. And at some point in those conversations, the blood pact was brought up. Just in case you need a reminder, the two of them made a blood pact on their wedding night that said that if either one of them cheated, the one that has cheated must kill the one that they have cheated with. So unbelievably, after all the possible topics that they could have spoken about on what could have fixed their marriage, the two of them, Kelly and Jason, landed on this blood pact and they decided between the two of them that this was the only thing that was going to save their marriage. The only way to fix their marriage is to murder Chris Regan. And I'm just flabbergasted. I really am. There are so many things that you can do to fix your marriage if that is what you want to do. Murdering someone is never, never going to fix your marriage. Why would they even land on that? It's honestly baffling. I just, I just don't get people. I just really don't understand people sometimes. I really don't. And it's actually not known who was the driving force behind making this decision to murder Chris. We don't know if it was Jason or Kelly, but my two cents is on Kelly. And it is widely assumed that he was Kelly. I mean, Kelly was the dominant one. Jason was the submissive one. Jason went along with everything that Kelly wanted. And also I get that Jason would be angry that his wife is cheating on him. I get that he would be angry with both Kelly and Chris, but Jason has known about this affair for a decent period of time. You would think that if Jason actually wanted to murder Chris, he would have done it by now, or he would have expressed wanting to do it by now. However, all of a sudden, as soon as Kelly finds out that Chris wants to leave and Chris is going to leave Kelly, now all of a sudden this blood pact is brought up. So that is why I think that Kelly is the driving force behind this. And according to their blood pact, it actually should be Kelly that murders Chris, not Jason. 
but Kelly doesn't want to go through with it. So Kelly manages to convince Jason that he should be the one to murder Chris. So this is when the two of them start to form the plan on how they're going to do this. They decide that Kelly is going to lure Chris over to their house with the promise of sex. And then once Kelly and Chris were actually having sex, which is a part of the plan that I don't understand. I don't understand why they actually have to have sex, but okay, Jason would burst into the room and shoot Chris. It honestly just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why do they think that this is going to fix their marriage? Chris is literally about to move to North Carolina, let him leave. Let him move to North Carolina. He will soon be out of their lives for good. Just leave it at that. So on the morning of the 14th of October 2014, Kelly sent Chris a text message inviting him over to her house. She said that she was going to cook him dinner. They could have a little date night. Chris agreed. I feel like he probably thought that this was going to be the last time he saw Kelly. So it was kind of like a farewell get together date. So Chris arrives at Kelly's home at 4.30 p.m. He parks his car outside and goes into the house. But almost as soon as Chris walked into the house, there was no mention of dinner. Kelly had started her advances on him and it wasn't long until they were having sex. But unfortunately, what Chris didn't know is that Jason was lurking in the shadows. So then moments later, whilst Kelly and Chris are having sex, Jason steps out of the shadows. He tragically shot Chris in the back of the head, killing him instantly, which is just absolutely awful. I honestly cannot believe that he went through with it. Chris was completely innocent in all of this and he just got sucked into this weird world of Jason and Kelly and this bizarre blood pact that they made, which I still cannot believe was real and I still cannot believe that they stuck to it. I also don't understand why the plan was for Kelly and Chris to actually have sex. It just doesn't make sense. Jason is apparently so hurt that his wife is cheating on him or has been cheating on him, why would he actually want to witness that with his own eyes? It just doesn't make sense, does it? But unfortunately, the despicable acts of Kelly and Jason, but especially Kelly, are not over yet. After the murder, Jason and Kelly had sex. Now this was years after not sleeping together because of Jason's back injuries, but for some reason, the murder of Chris exhilarated the both of them and they had sex for the first time in years right by Chris's body. What? Like, how is that what gets you juices going? But then there was also one other thing on Kelly's mind and that was to get away with this murder. There was no pause for regret. There was no guilty conscience. All Kelly was thinking about was herself how she was going to get away with that murder. So she got to cleaning up the crime scene. And this is when her studies in forensics actually paid off. First, Kelly and Jason move Chris's body to the basement, and then they pretty much scrub the whole house from top to bottom. Kelly then drives Chris's car, because remember, Chris's car is outside. Kelly drives Chris's car to a park and ride that is approximately about 30 miles away. Jason goes to the neighbor's house and asks if he can borrow a power saw. And then horrifically, Jason spends the rest of the night dismembering Chris's body and neighbors could actually hear what was going on. They could hear the power saw going all through the night, but it gets even worse than that because the next day, the neighbors reportedly could smell a very foul 
smell. And obviously we all know what that was. And then the neighbors saw Jason burning something in a barrel, but it doesn't end there. Oh no, of course it doesn't. This case literally goes from bizarre to even more bizarre. So not too long after, Jason and Kelly decide to throw a barbecue for the neighborhood. Now, this was very unusual for the couple because they kind of really kept to themselves and they didn't really do things like that. So the neighbors were just like, um, okay, but the neighbors were not going to turn it down. And when the neighbors turned up, they have reported that there was so much meat. One neighbor said that the amount of meat that was being served, it must have been about $200 worth. The neighbors knew that Kelly and Jason didn't have that much money. So the neighbors were like, where did you get this meat from? Where did you get the money to buy this meat? A note to all of you watching right now, if any of your neighbors that you don't know invite you to a barbecue or a dinner party, don't eat the meat. Don't eat the meat. Because when the neighbors were eating the meat, they reported that it tasted weird. It had this weird taste. It didn't taste like regular chicken, let's just say. And Jason tried to play it off. He said, I used to work at a butcher's that used to do exotic meat. So this is just exotic meat, which was a flat out lie. Jason had never worked in a butcher's before. And what he was serving was not exotic meat. And if you didn't realize where this is going, which I'm sure all of you have, after further investigation, it is believed that the meat that was being served at the barbecue was the remains of Chris Regan, which is just so disturbing to think about. This has happened too many times. I can think of too many cases where people have murdered somebody and then served the body, the meat of that person to unsuspecting people, which truly just disturbs me. I just don't even want to think about it. I do want to stress that this hasn't been proven that this is what happened in today's case. But when you think about it, how do you prove that? How do you prove that people have eaten human remains? Because you can't, they've eaten it. It's gone through their body, you know? How do you prove that? You can't. So it hasn't been proven, but, but, I, I kind of believe it. The neighbors and investigators from this case do believe it as well. So Kelly disposed of the rest of the body and Kelly thought that there was no way that the murder of Chris would ever be linked to her. And I don't know why she thinks this because she is pretty intelligent and it was common knowledge that Kelly and Chris were having an affair. So I don't know why she thinks that it will never be linked to her. But amazingly, two weeks pass and no one notices. No one even notices right now that Chris is missing. But Kelly was not as smart as she thought because after two weeks, Chris was reported missing. And investigators soon found out about the affair between Chris and Kelly, so it didn't take them too long to knock on the door of the Cochrane household. So they brought Kelly in for questioning and straight away the investigators knew that something was up. They just could feel it from Kelly. I mean, she was being very evasive. She was contradicting herself and she was telling the investigators things about Chris's disappearance that the investigators knew were flat out lies. The investigators also knew that Kelly was having an affair with Chris. So this gives Kelly and possibly Jason motive. And it wasn't long before Kelly and Jason were prime suspects in the murder of Chris. But unfortunately, the investigation was slow. 
Kelly had managed to cover her tracks really, really well. So even though the investigators were suspicious of Kelly and Jason, even though they both had motive, the investigators had no evidence to prove this. They didn't have enough to actually arrest them and charge them. Months went by and the investigation was slowly building evidence because after months, they finally find some evidence. They find some cell phone evidence that Chris and Kelly's phone were like in the same area. They pinged off the same tower. Traces of blood were also found in the Cochrane household. And they even got witness testimony from the neighbors of the strange activity with the power and then obviously the exotic meat. And then just as investigators were finally getting somewhere with this case, Kelly and Jason skipped town. They just got up and moved. They actually moved back to Indiana. They clearly knew that their time was up and they were pretty much just running away, which unbelievably worked. Because they were now in a different state, this made the investigation a lot harder. It also slowed the investigation down even more. And the FBI had to get involved. No one wanted to let Kelly get away with this. Well, Kelly and Jason at this point. Again, months and months go by. It's actually ridiculous how painfully slow this investigation was. 16 whole months pass after the murder of Chris. And investigators, the FBI, they finally feel like they're closing the net around Kelly when one more unbelievable thing happens. Something that is very weird about this whole investigation is that Kelly actually stayed in contact with the investigators. She was messaging back and forth with them. She even told them that she was leaving the state. It's very weird how cocky Kelly is. So because Kelly was in contact with investigators on the case, in February of 2016, investigators told Kelly that Jason was feeling the pressure and he was going to crack and tell them everything. And because of this, Kelly started to panic. She believed that Jason was gonna turn on her and she did not want to let that happen. She started to think that Jason was gonna bring everything crashing down. In Kelly's mind, she was gonna get away with the murder of Chris. I personally don't think she was. I feel like investigators were slowly getting there and would arrest her. But obviously we're talking about Kelly here. She is very cocky. She thinks that she's gonna get away with the murder. And right now, she sees Jason in the way of that. So Kelly came to the conclusion that there was only one option for her, and that is that she was gonna have to murder her husband, Jason Cochran. I know, just when you thought that this case couldn't get any worse, it's like, why is her answer to everything murder. I just don't know how she also thought that she was going to get away with Jason's murder as well. Like how does she think that she is that intelligent that she's going to get away with it? So one night in February of 2016, Kelly gave her husband Jason a huge amount of heroin. And then after he blacked out, she suffocated him to death. And I actually can't believe that she went through with it. So cold, calculating, she just murdered her husband. But I don't know why I'm surprised because trust me, Kelly is capable of anything. So the next morning she calls 911 and she says 
Hi, I've just woken up and my husband is dead next to me. She is claiming that Jason has passed away in his sleep. So obviously the services came out, they took Jason's body away. An investigation was open because obviously it's a suspicious death. And almost immediately they could see from the body that this was a murder. There was actually marks around Jason's neck and there was only one suspect and that was Kelly. So the investigators that are still working on Chris's murder find out about Jason's murder and think, oh my God, it's Kelly. It's Kelly. It's always been Kelly. We need to get her. She is literally a danger to the public. And this is when they finally put their foot on the pedal and actually speed up the investigation. They actually had enough to charge her with Jason's murder, like pretty much straight away, but this was not enough for the investigators. They also wanted to charge her with Chris's murder because Chris's body still hasn't been found. Chris is technically still a missing person. So the investigators told Kelly that Jason had left a note confessing to Chris's murder. And amazingly, this worked. Kelly was clearly panicked about what could possibly be in that note. She was clearly worried that Jason had also confessed to her own involvement. So Kelly finally confessed that Chris had been murdered, but she confessed that it was Jason. All Jason. Jason did it. She was not involved at all. That's just classic, isn't it? Blaming it on someone that is not there to defend themselves. She was really trying to wiggle her way out of it, but it didn't matter. In Kelly confessing to Chris being murdered by Jason, she actually gave the investigators enough information that they were able to locate some of the remains of Chris, and this was enough to charge Kelly. So now Kelly was being charged with the murder of Chris Regan and also her husband, Jason Cockrum. So eventually on February 14th, 2017, I do think that that is very ironic that it's Valentine's Day. Kelly's trial for the murder of Chris started. She did plead not guilty because she was still claiming that Jason was the mastermind behind the whole thing, but the prosecution were having none of this. By this point, they had a ton of evidence against Kelly. They discovered that Kelly was the dominant one in the relationship and that she was also abusive to Jason. The prosecution argued that Kelly was the mastermind. She was the one having the affair. She was the one driving all of this and the jury agreed. So Kelly Cochran was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Chris Regan. Not long after this trial, she actually settled in a plea deal for the murder of her husband and she was given 65 years on top of her sentence for the murder of her husband, Jason Cockrum. And then following that, Kelly actually went on to give a full confession to both murders. I don't know why she did this. Maybe she just couldn't keep it in anymore. She wanted to get it off her chest. And this is when the investigators learned the full story of what actually happened and the plan between Jason and Kelly to murder Chris about the blood pact everything. But the story doesn't end there. Oh no, it doesn't. I told you Kelly was capable of anything. Following the trial, Kelly's own brother came forward to talk with investigators on the trial. And he told them that he believed his sister, Kelly, was a serial killer. He believed that his sister could be responsible for up to nine murders 
all across the US. Investigators initially thought that there was no way that Kelly could be a serial killer. They also remembered that Kelly had managed to run rings around the investigation, that she had managed to drag it out for two years. She evaded arrest for two years and in that time she had also murdered her husband. So they went to talk to Kelly to see if it was true and Kelly confessed that it was. She said that she had buried bodies all over the US, including Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, and Tennessee. But I cannot believe I'm about to say this because this should not be possible. It turns out that in the plea deal that she made for her husband, Jason's murder, in that plea deal, a part says that Kelly cannot be charged with any other murders. So even if she was a serial killer, even if they found bodies could link them back to Kelly, she cannot be charged with them. I'm sorry, but that should not be allowed. How can anyone negotiate that plea deal? I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about US law, okay? So any of you that know about this, let me know in the comments. Is this just a standard clause that is in all plea deals? I don't know. I just don't believe it. How was this happened? But some cold cases have been investigated into and there is strong suspicion that she could have more victims. But so far, none of it has been proven. And even if it does get proven, she can't get charged with it anyway. And there is a very good chance that we'll never know, which is just incredibly incredibly infuriating. And that was the case of Kelly Cochran. And it's just crazy to think about everything that she got away with. I mean, she almost got away with Chris's murder. She dragged that investigation out for two years. And then in those two years, she went on to murder her husband, Jason. It's like, why would you do that? If you want to get away with one murder, why would you commit another one? And I definitely think that she has the potential to be a serial killer. I'm not saying that she is, but she definitely has the potential because she's very cold, very calculating and she's extremely intelligent. Don't forget the degrees that she has. The way that she planned out Chris's murder so methodically, it makes you wonder, was that really her first murder? And then going back to the start of this video and the blood pact between Kelly and Jason, why would she do that? It almost makes you think, why is she already planning to murder people with her husband if she hasn't possibly murdered before. And I feel like I struggle to wrap my head around Jason. Like what was his role? Because obviously we don't know his true role. We only know Kelly's side of the story. Did he want to murder Chris? Did he just go along with Kelly? And something that is just really strange about this case is that Jason was the murderer in this case but also the murder victim. I don't think I've ever come across that happening before. Sure it has. I think it's obvious that Jason was a victim of Kelly's manipulation, but again, he is not innocent either. And it's just really weird because he's obviously been murdered. He's obviously a murderer himself. Not that I'm saying that he deserves to be murdered, but it's just a really weird one, isn't it? But finally, the truly innocent victim in all of this is Chris Regan. Chris Regan was an Air Force veteran who loved the outdoors and was described as a happy, hardworking man. He had two adult children, who he was currently rebuilding relationships with. Later that year, he was planning on moving across the country to spend more time with them. That is the reason why he wanted to move. This opportunity, as well as everything else he had in his future, was tragically taken away from him. He was only 53 years old. 
And that brings us to the end of the episode on Kelly Cochran. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoyed the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one. Thank you.